Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Well, I don't care what it takes, Gavin. You get find who's got those pictures and you get them back. No one ever sees me drinking bush meals. Got it? Ass. The following podcast contains... We're going to talk today about profanity. What I've found in my walk with the Lord is that the spirit of profanity is running rampant throughout the world. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you needed Trump's fixer to clean up your dick pics, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, May 10th, 2019, Son of a Preacher Man edition of the show, where we look at the long history of evangelical preacher prick problems. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Revivals R Us, your one-stop shop for homecomings, revivals, and tent meetings. Is your church attendance flagging, donations down, pews thinning out, then brothers and sisters, it is time for revival. Praise the Lord, Revivals R Us can put people in your pews and cash in the collection plates. We provide the tents, the traveling singers, and a man in a loud suit in a Cadillac to come and fire up your congregation with the word of the Lord. A man who can shout for hours without drawing a breath. When it comes time to bring the Holy Ghost, look no further than Revivals R Us. Use the promo code SAVED at checkout and get a free baptizing kiddie pool. Let's see. How shall I put this? Well, just put it. He took it out. <laughs> he what? He took <gasps> it out. He took what out? It. He took it out. Yes, sir, Bob. He couldn't. He did. Well, you were involved in some sort of amorous. No. You mean he just. Yes. Are you sure? Oh, quite. There was no mistaking it? Jerry. So you were talking, mm-hmm. you're having a pleasant conversation, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, yeah, it, it, out. out. Well, I, I can't believe this. I know Phil. He, he's a good friend of mine. We play softball together. How could this be? Oh, it be. I've talked a time or two about how growing up in the Southern Baptist Church, like I did, was more of an onerous chore than a spiritual experience. It was a task that I had to complete, and one that lasted a long time, and most of the time was really, really boring. Sure, there were nights when shit got weird and people would start shouting and crying, but mostly it was just a trudge from the singing to the preaching to the call for souls, and finally, I could go home and get the fuck out of my sweaty church clothes. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, indeed. But every so often, folks at church would notice that the chubby ginger kid with the ill-fitting shirt and the clip-on tie was not the only one who was sitting with his eyes glazed over, praying only for the service to end. And that meant it was time for a revival. They were jumping the pews and shouting, Hallelujah! 
the church would bring in some singers from the other churches. Members would invite family members and friends, and there was always some kind of a cookout or potluck that really brought in the sinners. But most important of all, there would be the revival preacher. You see, back in the day, and I don't know, probably today as well, there was these guys who traveled the revival circuit, traveling from church to sp church to spread the gospel of Jesus to congregations far and wide. And while your local preacher was a man of the community, respected and admired, the revival preacher was a celebrity. Your preacher might be a fire and brimstone type, but he still had to go to work with folks in town every day, and he couldn't really put the fear of the Lord in the people, since those were the same folks who knew his secrets and foibles. But a revival preacher, he could really scream the sin out of you. And you will know my name is the Lord! And then leave town! The revival circuit could really make a name for a preacher, and the donation plate was always full to pay the revival preacher. A good revival preacher could make his name and a nice little living, and since he was only in town for the night, well, you know, what happens at the revival stays at the revival. It's nobody's business but the Lord, if you know what I mean. It was nice work if you can get it, and in another time, I might have been one of those guys. But you know, even as a kid... I could tell there was something sleazy about the traveling preachers. Their suits were always shinies, their cars were always Cadillacs, and their sermons just a little too focused on the sins of the flesh. Devil is in your hands and I will fuck it out. The last revival I attended was when I was like 16 or so. We were back in Tennessee visiting after my dad had joined the Air Force, and by this time I'd seen a bit of the world. I mean, I'd lived on Guam, and my nascent atheism was chafing at the bit of my morality, and I was dragged into my childhood church on the pretext of not disappointing my grandparents and on the promise of food after the preaching. The revival preacher was a caricature of every bad stereotype you can imagine. I mean, this was in the mid-1980s. The age of the televangelist was in full flower, and every traveling preacher had his eye on being the next Jimmy swag it with all that that entails sitting there watching this guy dressed dressed like a new orleans pimp sounding about sin and greed knowing he had a car worth more than the houses of some of the people in the congregation leering down the cleavage of all the ladies in the congregation pretty much sewed up my personal opinions in a nice tight package nothing in the intervening 30 odd years has given me the slightest reason to even try to change them which brings me to this week's news that Maybe Trump's personal fixer, Michael Cohen, did a little personal fixing for Trump toady and Jesus huckster Jerry Falwell Jr., a man so repugnant, he makes his carcinogenic cock knob of a father seem moderately tolerable. According to Reuters, quote, the Falwells enlisted Cohen's help in 2015, according to a source familiar with Cohen's thinking, the year Trump announced his personal candidacy. At the time, Trump was Cohen's confidant and personal lawyer, and he was worried for the Trump organization. The Falwells wanted to keep a bunch of photographs, personal photographs, from becoming public. Cohen told Arnold, that's Tom Arnold, by the way. Cohen said, I actually have one of the photos, without going into specific. Okay, I'm going to throw up. Reuters obtained a copy of the phone call between Cohen and Tom fucking Arnold, of all people, where Cohen talked about the job. The gist seemed to be that someone had the photos, and it was not clear who was in the photos besides Falwell Jr., though Cohen claims to still have at least one, and presumably that photo still exists. Which, if it does, I'm torn between wanting it to become public and the revulsion that I would certainly feel at Jerry Falwell Jr.'s dick. Well, well I'm, I'm just guessing here, but... Uh... I mean, 
I'm imagining him balls deep in a donkey, speculatively speaking, of course. Now, Cohen isn't the most reliable narrator, and Tom Arnold is, well, Tom Arnold. So none of this should be construed as me saying the photos were anything like Jerry Falwell Jr.'s wife straddling his open mouth and pinching a loaf right in it while Jerry Jr. has an ass-ramming dildo buried in his bunghole. Because the ins- by saying that, by even insinuating that... ...would be fatally irresponsible and libelous. So I would never do that. Just like I would never dream of saying... Speculatively, the photos of Jerry Falwell Jr. were him in the middle of a bakaki circle while Lindsey Graham was pissing all over his spunk-covered face. That would be thoroughly disgusting and entirely actionable if I were suggesting something like that, which clearly I am not doing. And all I'm saying is, given the history of people like Jerry Falwell Jr., powerful evangelical Christians with shitloads of money and high political connections, such things are not exactly unheard of. Preachers have always sought power and influence and positions. You can't be a preacher without having the kind of ego that makes you want to get up in front of a crowd of people and tell them what you think about things. That sounds like someone we know. Like I said, in a different world, I'd be one, so I think I know what I'm talking about. There's nothing wrong with this, and a good person could do good work as the head of a church, I guess, but a bad person, a bad man, can use that position and power in terrible ways that ruin lives big and small. The bigger the congregation, the bigger the pulpit, the bigger the damage done. The advent of modern media gave the most charismatic and the most corrupt the biggest pulpits the world had ever seen. Starting with radio in the 20s and 30s, preachers' voices became more and more influential in this God-bothering nation. And by the 1970s, television and religion joined in an unholy holy union that made a select few preachers disgustingly rich and powerful and when you have that kind of money these jackoffs did you quickly realize you can do anything you want and no one will do anything about it until finally you are so egregiously bad people are gonna have to notice and in the 1980s people started to notice get jim baker a preacher once worth millions the most successful televangelist of his day carried off to prison without a prayer Jim Baker's PTL con broke the glass on ignoring the massive televangelist scandal going on all around the world. At the same time that Jim was going to jail, Oral Roberts, another leading evangelical grifter, told his televised money pool that if they didn't give him some money... And in 1987, he predicted God would bring him home to heaven if he failed to raise $8 million to support his struggling City of Faith Medical and Research Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oral got his money. And of course, Jimmy Swagger was the most amusing of the fallen, getting caught frequenting cheap prostitutes outside of a New Orleans rundown hotel. I have sinned against you. And I beg your forgiveness. Jimmy got his forgiveness. And then did it again, barely a year later. <laughs> oh, Jimmy. Oh, my God. This was about the same time that Benny Hinn, notorious faith healer and fraud, was exposed for his fake healings. The screening system has one purpose, to keep the truly sick or disabled away from Benny Hinn. Those people are never near allowed there to stay. And these are just a few of the big names that rose and fell in the 80s and 90s. 
And what's ironic is many of these fuckers slithered right back into their fucking seats in front of the TV preaching to the lost. I mean, Oral Roberts just kept right on coming and conning. <laughs> I'm sorry, he didn't. He wasn't coming. As far as I know, Oral Roberts didn't fuck anybody. I don't think Oral Roberts has ever fucked in his life before he died. He just kept right on conning until he died in 2009. His university still churns out a degrees to this day to people like the dude that was killed trying to bring Jesus to the, tri- to the tribal people of North Sentinel Island last year. You know, the ones that killed him for trying to bring Jesus to their tribe. So you can imagine that Oral Roberts University is not the highest quality education. And that was just the first generation of flim-flam artists. I mean, there were dudes like Ted Haggard, who rose to a prominence by denouncing homosexuality as an abomination, only to fall from grace by snorting meth off the back of a male escort he was fucking in a cheap hotel. Bill Gothard, who taught that women should be subservient to men in their life, well, come to find out old Bill liked his women so subservient because they were so young. Over 30 women came forward to say that Gothard sexually molested them as children. Bob Coy, whose Florida megachurch had a congregation of over 20, 25,000, who in 2014 was publicly accused of molesting a four-year-old child and still hasn't been convicted. In 2016, the pastor of a Cornerstone Bible Fellowship in Arkansas Megachurch was charged with 70 counts of child pornography. Doug Phillips of Visit Forum Ministry and close friend of the Baby Factory Duggar family was forced to resign for sexually molesting a 15-year-old. Mike Hintz of the First Assembly of God in Des Moines, Iowa, who campaigned with George W. Bush against porn and abortion, sexually abused a 17-year-old woman he was counseling. Or Mark Driscoll, the founder of a Seattle megachurch and anti-gay shithead who was ousted for what <laughs> this group is a fairly benign charge of embezzling church funds. So I guess that makes him the fucking saint of the group. And these are just the big scandals I found on a quick search. A multitude of smaller abuse scandals across the country show the corruption and abuse in the evangelical churches is at least as big as it is in the Catholic church and it's far, far, far less reported. These people make me sick. But the growing problem is not entirely going unnoticed. The Southern Baptist Conference has started to address the endemic corruption at the heart of their faith, though the faithful themselves are not exactly on board for the process. They far prefer to ignore the problem and blame it on the media. You know, like the media that is the Boston Globe. You know what the Boston Globe did for the Catholic Church. Well, they wrote an article in 2018 saying, quote, Trump supporters seem enthralled to his approach to life. They seem completely untroubled by the women who accuse Trump of harassment or assault, said Peter Weiner, a senior fellow at the Ethics of Public Policy Center. For some reader, a large number of white evangelical men, there seems to be an attitude towards women that's disturbing and not biblical, Weiner said. He fears the circling of the wagons approach towards protecting leaders instead of victims. A lot of people are going to think it's laced with hypocrisy, he said. They say one thing and do another. Scott Thuma, a professor of sociology and religion at Hartford Seminary who studied megachurches, said he doesn't believe that scandals are t- that take place in bigger churches more than they do in smaller ones, but we hear about them more, unquote. And why would we hear about them? Churches are made to keep secrets. I mean, not from each other in the church, but from outsiders. One of the hallmarks of growing up in a small southern church like I did is the church gossip, which was traded freely, but also furtively. You could watch a rumor spread through the pews like a wave through a stadium. All it took was a noticeable absence on any given Sunday, and that person's personal dirt was trotted out and examined to determine what exactly might be going on. And unsubstantiated gossip is encouraged. 
But only such gossip does not imply, infer, suggest, appear, allege, insinuate that the people of this church are nothing but good, God-fearing folk who loves Jesus in America too. Anything which could bring doubt or disgrace on the congregation is never spoken, no matter how terrible or terrifying it might be. This is the iron law of the Southern Baptist Church. And so the entire institution is rotten with scandal, lies, secrecy, and sex. Everyone knows it. No, no one will admit it, and people suffer for it. Now, look, I am not now, nor have I ever been a particularly good Christian for many reasons, but not the least of which is, well, let's just say I remember be being in Sunday school and asking some pretty simple questions about the Bible stories they were telling us that just didn't die with jive with what I, as a child of less than a dozen years, knew to be factually accurate. Things like giant fish swallowing dudes and spitting them out on the shore three days later. I mean, if stuff like that happened, it would certainly be on the news or that one dude that lived for like a thousand years. I mean, my grandpa was old, but even he hadn't broke the millennial mark yet. And the whole Jesus story, it just sounded fishy to me. I mean, maybe if he had some big inflatable shoes, he might be able to float on the surface, but he couldn't walk on water. But if I happened to ask one question about it, well, I was being mouthy and unchristian. It's a good thing I didn't ask my burning question about the dead coming back to life, huh? And I'm not saying the evangelicals are stupid. Uh, you kind of are. Yeah, but I'm not saying it directly. What I'm trying to say is that through a combination of isolation and indoctrination, evangelicals are not predisposed to question anything except, of course, those that are not a part of their clan. This means that if you are willing to mouth the pro forma words and observe the appearance of being one of them, they simply will not question your behavior. Unless, you know, they thought you were gay. The swindlers know this, and they use it. I mean, there's this thing called the prosperity gospel that teaches people that wealth is a way to measure how much God loves them. So when the preacher drives an Escalade, that means God really loves him. Ergo, when the megachurch preacher draws a seven-figure salary from the church, and the church has its own private plane, it isn't that the donations of the gullible masses are being used to fund the pastor's private fuck trips to Thailand. It means that God loves the pastor and the church so much that he shows his love through sending him on a private fuck trip to Thailand on a private plane that the church owns, and he calls it a mission. It's funny how those missions are often to countries with lax laws on prostitution. Also funny how the preachers of the prosperity gospel do some of the same names we've mentioned in this show. Jerry Falwell Jr., excuse me, Jerry Falwell Sr. called it heresy, and Jerry Jr. isn't an overt proponent, but he sure lives like he is one. So when you think about it, it's easier to understand why evangelicals are all in for President Mushroom Dick. He's one of their preachers. He's a part of a long and pathetic history of evangelical faiths embracing criminals and cons who understand that the very underpinning of their faith makes them rubes. Every single one of these fuckers from Amos Simple from McPherson through Jim Baker to the leaders of Willow Grove Church all know that the people who believe against all logic and reality are predisposed to believe in anything. Which is why I believe that Jerry Falwell Jr. could easily have incriminating photos of, say, I don't know, totally hypothetically speaking, him strapped ass up on a pommel horse wearing a dick cage while his wife pegs him with his tenon strap on cot dressed as Melania Trump. Again, hypothetically speaking. I could see how he probably doesn't want those photos spreading around, yet even if they were published on the front page of the New York Times, it wouldn't actually change anything because Jerry Jr. <laughs> lives in a world where there are no consequences for his bad behavior so as long as he's part of the church. And it's a nice gig if you can get it. And look, I don't care if Jerry Jr. does have, let's call it a 
quirky sex life that perhaps involves in anal beads and scat play. I care because Jerry Jr. and the rest of his cadre of con men say that other people can't have a perfectly unquirky sex life with someone of the same sex. I care because they believe they can molest children under the cover of their faith. I care because they minimize women, insist that they are obedient, and submit to whatever the man wants from a woman. I care because they enforce their worldviews on people who don't share them and then play the victim when the rest of the world points out that they, as a group, are a self-entitled bunch of grifting hypocrites who parasitically feed on the stupid and the disenfranchised, the fearful and the weak, to support a lifestyle better suited to a Hollywood movie star than a person of faith. They better hope that I'm right and there isn't a God or an afterlife. Because if there is, Jesus is going to be fucking pissed when they show up at the pearly gates, smugly demanding to be admitted to the kingdom of heaven. He may be the Prince of Peace, but I guarantee you, he's got a, he's got a plan for these motherfuckers. I'ma call a couple of hard pipe-hitting niggas to go to work on the homes here with a pair of pliers and a blowtorch. You hear me talking, hillbilly boy? I ain't through with you by damn sight. I'ma get medieval on your ass. Although from what I've heard, and again, just a rumor, certainly not saying it's true, Jerry Jr. might enjoy that sort of thing. That is it for our show this week. It's been a strange week in the news. There's so much shit going on, but it's all kind of on the slow motion feed that's like an exposition episode on Game of Thrones. I mean, there's a lot of things happening that are presumably going to pay off in an episode or two. Or if the world is actually like a Game of Thrones, it will just actually be brushed aside in three minutes of CGI and leave no one the wiser of what the fuck the whole thing was actually about. It's possible of watching too much Game of Thrones or equally possible this timeline is just a really bad episode of an HBO series long past its prime. Speaking of being long past its prime, this show, had, if this show had a prime, you can rate and review this thing. It's a thing I'm supposed to say on podcasts about finding other people and helping, you know, I ratings. I don't know. It's, it's like mattresses. Mattresses are also very important. And I or quip toothbrushes. It's just something we say on podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at the Hell underscore podcast for all of my thoughts on stamps or chocolate covered strawberries or simians that deliver something like mail. I don't. What the fuck is a mail chimp? I don't even know. It's a, and I'm not doing the cereal joke either. All of the shows are on SoundCloud at the show name and at whatthehellpodcast.com. So for me, Dave, do as I say, not as I do, Bledsoe, producer. We don't have this in the Church of England. Gavin and all the fictional sinning congregants on this show, we want to say that the only boy who could ever teach me was the cum-covered butt-plugged son of a preacher man. We'll see you all next week.
I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcast.